Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. Um, This is the beginning of our Christopher Nolan arc, which is an interesting topic to be discussing while we're old, quarantined as the the world burns, which is a big theme of these films. Um, Our first episode on Batman Begins, we recorded a while ago back when you could still travel and George was here in, in California. And our Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises episodes will probably talk a little bit more about the parallels between this moment and the films, especially Dark Knight Rises when we get there. So we hope you'll stick around for this arc, um, you know, with its kind of crazy parallels to what's happening in our culture. Um, If you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. Find us on uh, Instagram, Uberbusters, Twitter, Uberbusters. Send us some questions. We got a question from a listener, um last month and we did a bonus episode about it and we're going to do a bonus episode um later this month about another question so we're more than happy to um engage with whatever you guys are thinking about too we hope you enjoy this episode bye-bye i'm liam billingham oh you have to start like that i'm george Fagopoulos. and this is you're gonna swear do to me <laughs> swear to me Ufra buster um, do you ever notice that Christian Bale's face looks fat in this bat suit sometimes? It, it looks a little pudgy. Bum, I think it's the mask. Bum, it kind of like pudges him out. It's the only ounce of fat on his body in this film. <laughs> the only which film? He has three point five percent body fat, and it's all in surrounding his. Dick. his in his dick? Yeah, of course. Okay, so, think in, to be and clear, George and I have been together for the past five days in Los Angeles. Things um, are going to get really immature. Recording episodes and uh, made a lot of a lot of ridiculous jokes. Most most of them are about dicks. Can um, I put can I put the, this uh the travel on my like tax expenses for yeah, like business for sure, business for sure, expenses? For sure. Oh, we should actually calculate that for this year. Yeah, it'd be like 125 bucks, <laughs> and that's mainly like ordering in. Yeah, for, snacks for sure. For snacks, sure. For sure. So um, today we're discussing Batman Begins. Continuing our deep dive, of course, into, into the, the Batman, Batman mythos. I was going to say oeuvre, well, but we're not mythos busters. You just keep breathing into the mic as hard as possible because it's oeuvre. really doing good stuff for me. I swear to me. I swear to me. Uh, with Batman Begins, written by David S. Goyer and and, Christ- and Christopher Nolan. I believe so. Maybe and, I should look uh, it on my phone. directed by Christopher Nolan. The auteur Christopher Nolan. This is his third feature film. Whoa! He did. F- oh, I'm sorry. Fourth feature film, uh, Was following the first one. Following, Memento. Uh, then he got hired to do. Insomnia, the remake of the Norwegian film. The right. remake was with Al Pacino, which is one of Al Pacino's last great performances. Ooh, I can't go to sleep. I mean, that's what the film's about. Oh, I'm a killer. Oh, I'm a killer. I'm a killer. Having trouble sleeping? Oh, I can't. Oh, you can't sleep. Wait, wait, wait. Thing is, I got a great big bed and I'm all up in it, but I can't go to sleep. My two year old daughter is trying to fall asleep in the next room. Um, And then after the insomnia, they handed him the reins to the Batman franchise, and this was the gritty reboot. This is kind of a sea change in the Batman mythology. It's actually kind of a sea change in superhero movies. For good, for bad, it's hard to say, but I think for bad. (laughs) A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Um, Who's in this movie? This film starts, of course, as the already 
aforementioned Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Katie Holmes as his love interest, Rachel Dawes. Uh, and and uh, and rising DA in Gotham. Cillian Murphy. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, we should also say this. So the Rachel Dawes character is played by Maggie Gyllenhaal in, in The, the Dark Knight. And, yeah. Cillian Murphy as the Scarecrow. Doctor Doctor Jonathan Crane Perfect. slash Scarecrow. Get your mythology right. M- Michael Caine. Oh, that was a terrible Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Caine. I won't as bury another Wayne. Another Wayne. I as won't do it. Alfred Pennyworth. You can borrow the rose if you like. Liam Neeson as Henri. Henri Ducard. Henri Ducard slash Ross Al Ghul. Ross Al Ghul. Who we'll also talk about. Obviously, interesting character. Uh, Gary yeah, Oldman. we're going to talk. We're probably going to talk about all the characters because this is a podcast about movies. As Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Sergeant Gordon. And he only Sergeant becomes commissioner at the end of the Whatever. film. And Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. And Rutger Hauer as, I'm not exactly sure what his name big is. Baddie. But big baddie. Big, big, uh, corporate big baddie. Enterprises baddie. <laughs> Rutger Hauer as Michael Bloomberg, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> do you want to give me. a quick synopsis of, oh, I'm rich. Can you give a quick synopsis of this film? So Batman Begins, the Batman origin story. Yes. And it begins with Bruce Wayne slash Batman in Stop we're, doing. Stop doing exactly that. Sure you gotta stop where. doing that with the mic because it's 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 it's. it's uh, just keep it. Just keep it. Yeah, but then I'm breathing. Yeah, but uh, it's fine. You're just. Are, are we you're, doing, keep this in? you're doing this. You're going like. Yeah, and then the. Was the beginning of the sentence? Are and we gonna keep? Are we gonna keep I didn't this? Meaning to talk? Yeah, we're keeping it in. Okay, just good. Speak with right, the normal. Right, right. Ugh, keep that stuff in about Bill's. Uh, fatty Dick. cock too, yeah. <laughs> oh, so gross. Batman begins <laughs> with Batman begins with Batman in um, Bhutan. Yeah, Bhutan. Training to be well, no, he's a he's a he's in jail. He's in jail. And he yeah, he beats up some Asian he, guys. Beats, we should talk about. <laughs> we should this. talk about that. So basically, just it's an origin story, and the first forty minutes or so are with him about him training to become and to develop kind of the skills needed to become Batman. And you get flashbacks, and obviously. It's, a, it's of the a guilt. definitely a Christopher Nolan movie, so and how it flashes forward, flashes flashes back. Yeah, there's some flashbacks, obviously, that we get like the Batman origin story again in terms of his parents getting murked in front of him. Meanwhile, in Gotham City, Killian Murphy unbeknownst to us, is working for Henri Ducard slash Ross Al Ghul to contaminate the water city supply and to... Destroy the city of Gotham. And to destroy the city of Gotham, yeah. And Liam Neeson's character doesn't come back until the very end. And we finally find out, obviously, that Ross Al Ghul is Henri Ducard. It's worth noting um, that this film it's clear especially with dark knight but i'm sure he was thinking about it with this that that christopher nolan was going in a different direction gone or the well i won't say it's not a cartoon but gone are some of the more cartoony flourishes or uh, comic booky flourishes that define the last film and this is more of like a, i would say this is more of an epic one of the things i love about these movies is that they're as much about gotham as a city as they are about Batman, which I think the early Batman and Batman Returns, uh, Tim Burton's films did really well, but Batman Forever and Batman and Robin couldn't give a fuck about stuff like that, and this film is a nice return to form. Christopher Nolan was, yeah, heavily influenced by Heat um, in the making of particularly The Dark Knight, but um, I'm sure that this film played into that a little bit, and there's like a larger political, there's, it's almost like, I know this is a cliche comparison, but like, it's almost like he wanted to do a wire, but with superheroes with these movies a little bit, like kind of a, huh. a ground level look into this world. Yeah. Do you I remember? Mean, I'm not totally sure about that, but it, it, I if you know do, what I'm going for, there's a, an attempt at something like larger. I do agree with you. It's epic. Certainly. Right. Um, I just don't know if comparing it to the wire in the sense of, let's say it's tired and cliche. Well, Sorry, everybody. No, I just mean in the sense of like, is this film interested in structures of power like The Wire is? And I would yes. say it's not. Oh, I think I think it can. In, in some ways it is. In some ways it isn't. Um, do you remember when you saw this? Don't roll your fucking eyes at me. Do you remember when you saw this movie? Actually, I don't. I know I saw it in the theater, mm. but I, I don't remember seeing it. I went midnight the day it opened. And? I, I fell asleep. <laughs> I was so tired. But <laughs> I, I thought it was great. And I, um, I've, I've seen this movie probably 10 times i think this is um, only the third time i've seen it oh really yeah i was really excited i remember seeing the trailer for this the summer before i went to see signs the mel gibson movie Whoa. and i don't know if anybody recalls this maybe we should talk we about the date 2005 for this yeah right? 2005 we should talk about a bonus but um when the trailer for this movie came out it was really unclear for like the entire trailer what it was until the very very end when bruce wayne uh when when you see the bats and the bats kind of take off and it becomes the bat logo you didn't know it was it was and and that you really didn't know it was a superhero movie and that is like kind of a big deal because i really do think that re-watching this film last night 
um, it had a huge influence on the culture and like how superheroes were taken. These movies, these the Dark Knight trilogy, yeah, which they sort of retconned and turned into a the Dark Knight label. But like this movie definitely had a huge impact on how we think about and perceive superhero movies and kind of big budget movies. It's fifteen, almost fifteen years old now, and it shows. But um, yeah, yeah. What'd you think of it? Oh, I really enjoyed it. You enjoyed rewatching yeah. it, and it's funny because so our friend Nicole, Nicole Solomon, left us a voicemail detailing, which I almost entirely agree with. This film's shitty politics, and this film does have shitty well, politics. Yeah, it's, she's not a big but, fan of the movie, but I was thoroughly entertained. And again, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. Yeah, and I thought, holy shit, this film is like really fun. It's well done. It's incredibly meticulously crafted. Yes, and the control that like nolan has over this material it shows like he knows exactly yeah. what he's doing and i think it does say a lot of interesting things about trauma and fear uh way to just say everything that you were gonna say about well i mean i didn't say well, we didn't before. talk about the racism um yeah i love this movie um and i also agree with nearly everything nicole says uh in the voicemail that we're gonna play so nicole is a is a filmmaker and business partner of sean Mannion, who is featured on our superman episode, superman episode. they have a, oh, a what film up? A film, they have a film production company uh, called Four Mile Circus, and um, they they do a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, yeah, Nicole, Nicole, Nicole specifically um, tweeted at us after Sean's Superman episode to say, "Have me on to talk about Batman Begins, so I can talk about how it sucks, you cowards." So let's go live to Nicole right now, talking about live. Let's go not live. Let's actually go the. <laughs> let's go asynchronously to Nicole talking about Batman Begins. Hi, this is Nicole, and last night I rewatched Batman Begins with my husband, Sean, and it was the first time either of us had seen it since around when it first came out, and we both kind of thought it sucked then, and I think both thought it still su kind of sucks and is super overrated. Um, so for starters, the whole first part of the movie, our hero, he's just the worst, He's a one percenter who gets himself into prison in Bhutan so he can beat up throngs of nameless Asian men and then get discovered by the one other white guy around who for some reason is also the best ninja around, which leads us into the white people do it better training sequence in which Liam Neeson teaches Christian Bale how to ninja, surrounded by nameless Asian men for them to both beat to a pulp. Um, the visuals here are not great. And the whole concept is pretty racist and orientalist. And back in Gotham, things aren't much better. We've got dead-eyed Katie Holmes giving a performance that is beneath her. I'm glad she escaped Scientology. She can't sell her character, which should be a good one, but it doesn't work. Has no chemistry with Bale. And I'm, I'm sorry his like benevolent billionaire Thomas Wayne got murdered in front of his kid, but he's a dickhead, and his role in the moral and economic landscape of the film is reactionary garbage. The dialogue throughout is terrible. Cillian Murphy is amazing and the best thing in the film, and he is criminally underused. The League of Shadows and their politics are both incoherent and red scary, and the Gotham of the gas strike era, where the fuck it's supposed to be, looks silly with like the graffiti on the opera house and whatnot. It, the film kind of raises questions, um, both moral and ethical, about Bruce Wayne's behavior, but it doesn't really explore them. It more just juxtaposes him with Liam Neeson to make it clear how Wayne has the moral high ground because he doesn't murder people, he just lets them die. And my recollection is that the next two films do a slightly better job on this count, but there's just not much here to chew on. I get why people are happy to get an origin story with some psychological depth for the protagonist, but the politics are bad, and every scene that doesn't have Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, or Cillian Murphy, or a big action sequence in it drags and gets kind of boring. And um, I guess there's no women, also, now that Bruce Wayne's mom is dead, other than Rachel Dawes and those party girls or sex workers, I wasn't really sure who um, really like to jump into fountains at uptight society events. So not, not, not the best movie on the representation of women front. I will say, though, that I did enjoy it a lot more watching on my TV rather than my laptop, as I did the first time. But I still don't think it's a good movie. And for overall quality, I'd put it kind of on par with Joker, 
though they have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, I remember liking the two sequels quite a bit more. I think I'm going to watch those and see how I still feel. Um, but anyway, uh, anything to add, Sean? Yeah, I just want to say that uh, I know that Thomas Wayne works, spends his working hours as a doctor to make himself feel better. But doing what could probably only be a public-private partnership to build an entire rail system and then having your company headquarters be the hub of it, that's like something Trump would do. Yeah. And if the film had a critique of this, this would be great. But instead, this is the one thing that like stopped um, the economic collapse of Gotham by the ninjas who orchestrate recessions. Um, but anyway... Uh, that's it. Um, other than you guys are right, Batman Returns is the best Batman movie, even though the portrayal of the Penguin is a little anti-Semitic, but that's another rabbit hole. So um, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks. Uh, Go Batman. Bye. Okay. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. That was great. Um, Sean, indeed. Go Batman. The <laughs> voice you heard in the background is Sean. Shatar, Shatar, Jesus. The voice you heard in the background was Jesus. It was Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's a huge Sh fan. <laughs> Sean Sataro, Nicole's uh, wonderful husband. And uh, has, a, has a great podcast that we'll link to in the notes, maybe, if he wants us to. Um, so I agree with pretty much almost everything I Nicole agree with said. Pretty much everything Nicole said. Although um, I will say that I don't think she gives Bale credit for actually doing Christian Bale. The, yeah, and, and in terms of acting, because I feel like when he's on screen, he's certainly captivating. But as I said to you yesterday, as we were watching this film together. I totally did forget how fucking Orientalist the first forty-five minutes. Talk more are. about that. So again, just kind of like Nicole said, that all of the Asian characters are yep. pretty much just kind of faceless, anonymous people. Well, they have faces. I mean, in the sense that they're not fucking characters. Right, yeah, of course. And also, well, a lot of them also don't, right? Yeah, Especially like true. in like, the ninja yeah, guard. The, in the end. Well, to Nicole's point, I think this movie is, when it comes to the action, and I think I sort of ignored this for a long time, poorly edited. The action in this movie is, is often incoherent, with the exception, so there's the scene early on where he's in the yard and he's talking to like... The the one the the one white people have buddies in movies. It's always like an older Asian, like like smart oh, Asian yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm um, and then there's the guy who comes over and he's like, "You're in hell, little man." Like that's the only guy who he fights that has any kind of like presence in the scene. I don't find the action in this film to be very well cut, and I think that even hurts that scene because they're not even allowed to register as like punching bags in that first scene, and it, it's in and it, you don't feel great about the story, the storytelling in those moments. Yeah, but again, it's. The as you said, the visuals do not look great. That mm. the only defined characters in those first forty-five minutes are white these people. two white dudes, mm -hmm. and that they are, as she said, they're like do, I forget exactly how she put it, but that they are doing kind of like the best, like ninjaing around, yeah, and that they're the ones that are kind of completely and utterly like in the foreground as characters. And I think that too, I think Liam Neeson's pretty great in this movie. He is, and I think. Um, I think Bale is really good in this movie, but Ken Watanabe plays the kind of decoy Razagul. Razagul, and Ken Watanabe is an extraordinary actor. Is, yeah. And I think um, this uh, that he's wasted. Why can't he be Razagul? Yeah, he gets like why? Because you kind of think he is, and you think that Liam Neeson is kind of a henchman, and it doesn't take anything away. This is a problem that the movie had that, that that this movie has in Dark Knight Rises, which is a movie I don't care for. Has where it they have to shoehorn in some fan service a little bit and there's more compelling things going on with with other potential things that happen in the movie. Like, it doesn't do anything to have Liam Neeson be Ra's al Ghul. Oh, I don't... I mean, I, I don't know if I entirely agree with that. I mean, he could like have the been Ken Watanabe and it would like great. Well, oh, no, that. Okay, sure. That part I agree with. I thought you meant just kind of like not having the villain. No, and they need a villain, villain, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the villain is interesting and at least in this film, he does kind of interesting things. But, I mean, the other thing also Nicole didn't talk about that also is often kind of a really traditional Orientalist trope is that, again, the East is usually represented as this kind of like mystical, mystical place. Yeah, enigmatic place. Where the again, white guy has to like the white guy goes to like rediscover yeah. himself. Last or, like, Samurai has this problem sort of truth too. Or wisdom about himself, and right. that's entirely all over this fucking right. film in the first forty-five minutes. Right. Um, yeah, I think. Now that being said, the uh, Nicole made made a good point too. It was like she was glad that you know she's like I get that people were excited that they had a origin story with some psychological depth because we 
had a version of this in Batman, but it's in but 1989's Batman Tim Burton, which is directed, which is uh, creates creates the idea that the Joker is the person that killed Bruce Wayne's parents, which works really well in that iteration. What I like about this film is how it's kind of a you feel as though the violence or the one thing that this movie does, whether it does well or it doesn't do well, I think it's that's really debatable because I largely agree that the politics of this movie are not great, but the idea of the guy who kills the Wayne family kind of being desperate and like kind of a regular guy who we sort of see, but doesn't play into the larger mythology is really, really interesting. I agree. And I think that one of the things that this film does really well is whilst telling the present tense story, flashing back to the things that give that scare Bruce Wayne, namely bats. And obviously he has trauma from the murder of his parents. Yeah, no, totally. And, and, I, and that's where I think the film succeeds wonderfully well. Again, is a sense like you're getting an origin story with mm-hmm. psychological depth. And I think I also totally agree that the politics of this film are fundamentally reactionary. I mean, that's right. something we've been talking about for the last two months or so like to that's what all de- you talk about that's all i talk about to what degree is this character redeemable or to what degree can we get an iteration of this character that is in some sort of way progressive or is right. it some sort of way let's say a betrayal of the reactionary politics that come with any billionaire figure so, and let, so far we have not gotten that. let's talk about the and we don't let's talk about the dialectic Whoa. you gotta get a bell like <laughs> ding. ding we did it dad <laughs> dad between um bale like uh, Let's talk a little bit about the character of Bruce Wayne slash Batman and kind of the politics of it. Let's talk a little bit about what the psychological depth is and how that plays with the this politics. This is your so mask. What, this is a mask. This is your mask. I don't want to bury another Batman. No, it's about the Katie Holmes thing at the end. Oh. She says, this is the mask So let's talk now. about that. Yeah, let's talk. I, I think the ending, of the, I don't think that, that the, so let's start at the end. At the end of the film, Kate, Katie Holmes, KT. Rachel Dawes comes to Bruce Wayne's burned down house. Because uh, Ra's al Ghul burns it down to get revenge, which bullshit, no revenge. He saved your life. Um, and she talks about how she's happy she, when she found out that Bruce Wayne was back in Gotham after being absent for seven years, that she thought maybe there was a hope that they could be together. And then she f- says she found out about his mask. And what she seems to imply, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that his mask is Bruce Wayne. Yeah, exactly. And that the that he's masking batman right or an anger and until he deals with that but it doesn't it feels a little bit like well so the argument it doesn't make any sense Well, first of all there are parts of the screenplay that are god awful yeah it's not it's it is i agree with nicole the dialogue is bad there is a lot of terrible dialogue dialogue is bad the movie works the dialogue is bad it works stunningly visually yes and when Uh, yeah and when like celine murphy's on the screen he's He's incredible i actually think tom wilkinson is miscast but great to watch in this movie as falcone as falcone and i think um I wish Katie Holmes was given more to do because I don't. I, I think I think she's not a terrible actress, and I think it's just a it, the mis the recasting what didn't the recasting was good, but I don't think it completely solved all the problems of the character. Anyway, go. Yeah, and let's no, talk the about character, the character's just kind of flat. So what's at least the, in this iteration? What's the inference at the ending there when she's like that? Oh no, exactly that. Yeah, that Batman is the true version of Bruce Wayne or the true person there and mm-hmm. then obviously everything that like bruce wayne does is a kind of cover-up for batman which is a kind of like traditional i mean we've talked about this a little bit before too in the sense of that so many of the other versions struggle with this duality i don't know if actually another thing about it, maybe this is the one version that commits to the idea that batman it's clearest. is a true vision I, or yeah. version of the person i don't think the other ones do at all maybe maybe they do they flirt with it but they're more interested in the duality and let's talk a little bit about bale's performance because i think in this sense he's pretty stunning the way he handles this because bruce wayne is kind of intentionally flat he has like he's interesting and dynamic but you can you one of the things that i think bale does i think bale's the best actor to play the part maybe keaton is amazing no don't get me wrong but like even if george clooney grew as an actor he was pretty bad in batman and robin and kilmer kilmer does actually kilmer does the closest thing to what bale does but one of the things that i think is interesting is you you watch christian bale or bruce wayne constructing an identity in this movie yeah no totally and the i mean i think also in terms of that the whole playboy stuff that really gets hyped up here Mm -hmm. is an obvious kind of, I don't know, it's felt really kind of obvious to me. Tell me more. Well, just the idea that that this is the, I think the version also that you get, this is, is yeah, this is the first version that you get of like Bruce Wayne as this, 
oh, going back to like the flatness of Bruce Wayne, of like mm. the cliched billionaire playboy who like who's a womanizer bangs bangs women bangs women in pools and like they might be sex workers they might be sex workers who the fuck knows and he's performing it's a performance he has no interest in doing what he's doing correct and that's also kind of that echoes what katie holmes says at the end but it's just kind of boring i guess what i'm trying to say yeah for sure is it boring why is it boring is it boring you're bored by watching it or no 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 no. i wasn't bored watching this at all i'm just saying it's kind of an an expectation or an easy kind of ploy. Right. So let's talk a little bit about, so would you say that something that maybe these movies deals with is in this film, he's kind of learning how to be a person again because he's been so wounded by the death Aww. of his parents a little bit. And yeah, in the no, second right, film, yeah. he kind of reclaims the humanity. I but mean, he, I don't want to, I can't, I don't want to talk about the second film because it's been a very long time. Since but but he has it. a choice to make in the second film. And that at the end, uh, no, no, in the middle of the film, who he, chooses, yeah, who he chooses, oh, who he chooses to, to save, save, which is interesting because Arnold Schwarzenegger does the same, or Mr. Freeze does the same thing to Batman and Batman and Robin. He just he has to either catch Mr. Freeze or no, um, that's the third one. You mean no the Riddler? No, Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze does it. They both. They, it happens in oh, every the movie. Does it too? But this one really commits. That, that one commits to it. it. I and then, that one out. then in Dark Knight Rises, he kind of like has become a. Well, Dark Knight Rises has its problems, but he's kind of become this like hobbled old man, um, and he has to like sort of become batman again so it's interesting i don't know i just think he's he has to kind of construct an identity that doesn't really exist in this film now right. well that's what you see him doing from the very beginning in terms right. of the working out and, or the practicing the martial arts whatever the case might be right and one of the things that's interesting about christian bale as an actor is that he he's one of those actors who's uh, which i think this is true of all actors but christian bale is interesting to watch thinking you can watch him think on screen you can watch him work things out and it's it's really really compelling but i think that in some ways, Bruce Wayne is like a weird cipher. Like I haven't thought, I think we all accept Batman as the character and whatever it is. And like Bruce Wayne's kind of cool, but Bruce Wayne isn't that cool in this movie. Like he's kind of a shell of a person. I think he's kind of a shell. Well, like he has a character. He's not, he's like a shell. He's damaged goods. And like, he's not, it's not like, I mean, I mean, it depends on what you mean by cool. I mean like cool in the sense, like keep, he attempts to be again, this like smooth, like million billionaire playboy. Right. I don't mean cool in the sense of like that is good behavior. I just mean in the sense that he well, he has a cool life. Yeah, he's a cool life. It exudes confidence. But he doesn't. His life looks fucking terrible. Like in the sense that like he's Why like are we talk- so we're we talking the about the thing? super. So we're talking about two things. We're talking about the superficial way that he lives and the fact that he's a tormented guy. No, you know of what I mean? Course. But that goes with, like with almost like any let's say person like it's like the people who hype themselves up on social media or right. are constantly like no, they're I'm very so happy. they're very happy they're and you're very like, happy yeah. <laughs> and you're like you're like oh my god this person is completely and utterly damaged right i mean in that sense yeah, yeah. that we as we as people know right. that there's a duality to the character and, and what's interesting is that bale is i think able to play both of those things at the same time yeah but he's also there's also something powerfully blank about him for some of the movie and he also manages to do better with the screenplay than a lot of other people I would give him props, him and Gary Oldman, for having the ability to deliver chunks of exposition without you being like, and Morgan Freeman. And Morgan Freeman's like, right in this, yeah. <sighs> it's like, this is really trite. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I don't know that we've come to a conclusion, but I think that this performance of Bruce Wayne has more levels. He's blank at times, he's angry at times, he's ironic at times, he has a sense of humor. I don't think anything will ever top Keaton in terms of like WTF, like... This is such an interesting performance. Keaton is more okay. Keaton is more interesting than Bale, but Bale right. is more like pro forma. Yeah, so which I think is right. a good way to think about these films. So too. Keaton is more interesting in, as you said, like the dynamic, the weirdness, the the tension. Yes, sure. But Bale pulls off well the Bruce Wayne stuff more or mm-hmm. better, I should mm-hmm. say. And I think you're right, like the perform the performer that it's kind of like it's a like a well-oiled machine. It's a professional performance. He's also the Batman too, the first Batman that we get. That you look at him with his shirt off and you're like, holy fucking shit! Like that yeah. guy is definitely yeah. Batman. Keaton, He's fucking ripped. Keaton looks like he works out once a week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Keaton has like a, a good, like a nicely shaped. He's unhealthy. He's yeah, healthy. He's you a healthy never guy. barely even see him. In he the, eats, he's also like forty he when he a, played the part. He eats so. a salad every once in a while. Yeah. He runs like his fifteen miles a week. Right. But exactly. Bale is in the gym like eight hours a day well and clearly he was making the movie um and then one thing that nicole highlighted and i think is viciously apparent re- viciously apparent viciously. rewatching this movie is like oh your poor billionaire like you know you feel for i don't feel bad for this guy i don't at all Bruce Wayne. yeah and maybe i maybe i sort of blindly accepted it 15 years ago when the movie came out but like 
it's hard to sympathize with this guy um, in some weird way. As Bruce Wayne or as Batman or as both? Well, well, I mean, I don't sympathize with Batman. I mean, I don't think of it like that. I think I just find it, yeah, like if you really take a step back and think about it, it's a rich guy who's like gone to Asia to become involved with, like literally steal from himself. It's like, lit- from, yeah. it's so He's like, like cosplaying. It's, it's so like, it's cosplaying hard. of being like a hard, a badass. I, I guess what I'm saying is that it's hard to take it seriously, which makes the movie a lot weaker in my mind. The second film works better because it almost dwells on this a little bit less. And I wish that there was, I, I know this is not maybe the right place for this, but I wish Nolan had, there was like a little bit more critique. Of yeah, but that's not Nolan. We've talked about this before, both like jokingly, mm-hmm. well, more, mostly jokingly. More self-aware. And in passing. But he seems from the films that he's made that he's a rather reactionary guy. Tell me more about that. Well, that he, his politics are just fundamentally reactionary. So even something like Dunkirk, for example. Which is a great movie. Which is a great movie. I think. He's, he's a masterful filmmaker. Don't get right. me wrong. But then he seems to be attracted to very... So again, like in Dunkirk, this kind of very... Yes retrograde traditional representation of let's say of like the british war efforts and of okay. a certain kind of or certain kinds of like masculinities like attracted to certain kinds of masculinity so what are the mask what would you say he's attracted to about this character batman yeah so the again like the billionaire stuff the kind of flirting with fascism stuff that becomes way more apparent in the second one okay and again, presenting that our, sec- a, our episode on the Dark Knight is going to be seven hours long. Presenting presenting that in a semi-critical manner, but also to do also only having criticism arise only to quickly dismiss it. For example, like in, like in the second fucking film, where again we're talking about the first film. Okay, in this in this this first one, yeah. Oh, so this one might not even have any critique. Well, it doesn't. I don't think have any critique of his class politics. It has some critique of him metting out justice so the major thing the major difference between him and Ra's al Ghul is the fact that he will not kill so we didn't talk about this scene very early on when he's with the League of Shadows and he's training and he's been like made an honorary member somebody's brought out and Ra's al Ghul says like okay now for you to officially be one of us you have to kill this guy because he stole or he did something bad that's what justice is and he refuses and that's when he escapes and he burns down because the man should go on trial yeah he said like this person should go on trial and that's also something that you learn that he picked up from Rachel from flashbacks that basically he was going to kill Chill the guy who killed his parents but Falcone had that guy murdered right before Bruce Wayne could kill him how convenient how convenient so that what he learns is that justice should be putting people on trial. But also you get tons of fucking footage of him just like completely and utterly, obviously in vigilante style. Guys, yeah, right. just kind of completely, totally like beating the shit out of guys. Right. And at the end, he kills Ducard. He says, I can't, I'm not going to kill you, but, but I won't save but you. But I won't it's save this, you. It's the same. Which Nicole also pointed out, yeah. It's a, it's a very, re- it's, yeah. Okay. So I agree with, I agree with you there. I also think one thing that this movie and you know maybe it's like the the sign of the times to quote Henry Styles star of Dunkirk that's a great song I thought you were quoting uh, Prince you crying, it's a sign of the times. I prefer Prince but yeah Prince, well, Prince of course I prefer Prince but that's the song that came into my mind because <laughs> talking about Dunkirk but one thing that this movie plays up that I find it super irritating maybe in the moment when it's entirely possible that Michael Bloomberg is going to be the no, but you know, it's not going to happen. Not gonna but, happen anyway. but he's moving up. God, if it happens, oof. Fuck but that guy. the idea that um, <laughs> the idea that like the thing that he's besmirching is the Wayne name, like the name of Wayne, like his dad. Like, there's a part where, where uh, like uh, he's being criticized uh, as he comes back for the party, and he's gone over the rooftop with the Batmobile, which kicks ass in this movie. It is that chase yeah. sequence rocks. That's a really good sequence. But he comes back, and Michael Caine's like, "Your father," like, and he's kind of like, "The only thing that's left of of the Wayne name is 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 the name," as if to imply that like Bruce is debasing the name, and it's kind of like, just the movie leans very hard on like the legacy of thomas yeah, wayne and yeah. what he needs and the patriarchal and you know legacy yeah. it's like patriarchal legacy and it's kind of like eye-rollingly annoying because like 
I like the guy that plays Thomas Wayne in this film. He's incredible in Mandy. If you haven't seen Mandy, he's Linus. Um, oh, wow. He plays yeah, the villain? He plays the villain oh, in Mandy. he is amazing Mandy. Um, yeah. And our friend Peter Rinaldi did an incredible episode with that guy. Um, I should look up his name. Linus something. I, I, I feel bad that I don't know. And I I like that he's a, an attempt at making a character of him in this movie, but so much of it is like we're expected to care about the patriarchal relationship of a billionaire to his son. And also Sean's absolutely right. To build a monitor or monitor like make of an affordable train system that leads that to leads your to your building is like Trump bloombergian ass. or trump trump ass, trump ass yeah. for sure um, it's like stamping your name on the city and it's only like yes it's tramp stamping your name tramp stamping your name on the city <laughs> i have a bruce wayne tramp stamp on my city i'm gotham um <laughs> He's a, and also the fact that he's a doctor during the day is so eye rollingly like, yeah. it's just a stone's throw away from him. like, he's just like a megalomaniac uh, that controls the city. I don't know. It's just very, or tries to control the tries city. Tries to control yeah. the city. And it's just, it's a little blah at a certain point. Well, that's the thing where there's different ways to control the city. If you do it right. and you wear like a scarecrow mask or a bad guy, if you do it through your billions, you're a good guy. Right. Exactly. Going back to the Batmobile too, which I totally forgot about that this film also has this really interesting. So, Bruce Wayne gone from the company for like seven, seven years. years. And when he comes back, he finds out that the company's been investing in like military equipment. Yeah. So and, the guy who weaponry. runs it has kind of like moved into like arms essentially, so which is, it's interesting that they make the point to be like, this isn't what they did. Before. Right. But it's also again, interesting to think about like critique where like Bruce Wayne would be like, Oh, this isn't cool. We shouldn't be doing this. But he uses some of that weaponry like in the Batman. Yeah, I mean his his, his outfit he, is a yeah, soldier. And he like appropriates it or reappropriates it and turns it into something like good. Whereas obviously the real actual critique of that would be like, no, none of this is good. Right. Like military hardware, regardless of what you do with it, is bad. Yeah, there's something in distinctly sort of militarized about this take on Batman. And I honestly think part of it's because they were like, This is cool. Also, yeah, no, I we, think that Go ahead. No, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it's cool to watch this fucking like, tank also, roll through the streets and talk, blow shit up. Talk about let's to play the devil's advocate here a little bit, just Land for the, the sake, to, just for the sake of the film. Um, Al Pacino was in that good one people too, on both sides, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Played the devil. It was me. Picture it: me and Keanu Reeves, and I was the devil. Yeah, you do one voice really well, and then you <laughs> lean on it as hard as you can. Um, one of the things that's great about this movie and you said this last last night was like the attempted verisimilitude yes and it is very realistic i say that with air quotes and one of the things that makes it realistic is that he's like hey why don't i just use the stuff from wayne industries so like i appreciate that one thing that whether you can i mean and again like i think that there's a really fair criticism sean man and i were texting about how it's inher- it's in- inherently absurd like that that anyone would ever make a superhero movie fine that's realistic it's more absurd than like having arnold schwarzenegger do like 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 poem like do poems <laughs> what if what if mr freeze do was poems. a poet no then have him do arnold puns, does have poems him, <laughs> have him do puns about like this or that but it is if they're going to go for for similitude and making it realistic him like borrowing hardware from the company or doing these things or finding the vehicle works really really well and that's the thing is that and I want to talk about what's good about this film. In spite of all of that, this movie kicks ass in so many ways. Yeah, the I, politics are bad, sure, but the movie kicks ass. Well, again, and it's commitment to a certain kind of worldview, and yeah. as you said earlier, kind of it's commitment to a certain kind of view of Gotham. Yeah, is really impressive and it's so immersive and it really right. sucks you in. And again, talking about like verisimilitude, if a character like this existed, his hardware would be military grade. Right. That's what he would be using. And right. he does. And I'm not saying obviously the politics of that are good. I'm just saying like it's such a convincing portrayal of what that figure would look like. Right. And be like that I'm like, this is so fucking entertaining. Now could the movie lean into its critique a lot more? Sure. Like I mean could it could it like, you know, one thing that is is interesting is that we're largely seeing through the eyes through the through the film through the eyes of a billionaire. So like there's really no consequence for him. Like when he goes into Carmine Falcone's restaurant, Carmine Falcone is not going to gun him down, even though that's kind of what the scene about is about. Yeah, is Carmine yeah. Falcone being like, I can do whatever I want. And he says that, yeah. But he's not going to kill Bruce Wayne. You know, like, so there's no real, there's no real threat to Bruce Wayne in any conventional sense and how I would think about it. But I do think that like, it's hard. It's okay. So maybe when the film came out and I was 20, three 22 
I like could be I was very excited about this movie. I mean Batman is mm-hmm. a huge part, but like now watching it in in 2000 and I think in 2005 we're 4 years away from 9/11, which, you know, so this kind of like gritty realistic take was like much appreciated because I don't think you're getting away with like maybe they should have been making the Arnold Schwarzenegger pun to Batman's then, but you're not getting away with it in the same way. But 15 years on, it just doesn't it's still a great movie, but I don't have the same level of kind of empathy or feeling for Bruce Wayne as I did maybe in 2005. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. It's a lot less believable yeah. and empathetic and sympathetic. It would be interesting. I mean, that's a good point, too, to think about, let's say, how the last 15 years yeah. has changed our... As Nicole says, right, he's, like, he's a one percenter, and obviously that particular term didn't really exists in nomenclature as it does right. now after Occupy. Well, and there's a reading... And to think about... Sorry, sorry the third ahead. film also, sorry. too, is how sorry. reactionary it is in relationship to Occupy. Yeah, it, you can argue it's an anti-Occupy movie. Without question. Right. Yeah. There's another reactionary Nolanism. Yeah, is that he... I mean, I haven't watched Dark Knight Rises in a long time, but I remember... I've had conversations with people who think it's it's pretty... It's both anti-Occupy but also anti-cop. Because it, the only cop in the Batman movies that is an incompetent piece of shit is is is, is, is Gordon. Gordon. And um, also, I think it's it's worth talking a little bit about the Gordon character in yeah, in the yeah. Nolan parlance, so to speak, because he is a good cop. He's not on the take. He's competent, and he's competent. He's empathetic. He's caring. That relationship does it for me. It really works. The relationship when you see him in Dark Knight Rises, the the Dark Knight Rises, there's a flashback to him putting his jacket on Bruce Wayne in this film, and I think it's it actually. I remember it hitting me hard in the movie theater. The most of that movie, I was like, but that hit me pretty hard. But one thing that's interesting is that he's there's also a moment in this film where despite his kind of like good intentions or whatever, he very clearly says like, I'm no rat. So he's not actually interested in reforming the police in any way, like on the ground. But like when he becomes commissioner, maybe things become better than they were. I don't know, but it's, he's just such like an interesting character because sort of similarly that in the way that he's kind of a good cop, the film doesn't really put him in a position of being like anti the like anti-cops in any way yeah. shape or form i would also like to point out that i al pacino okay played did you a just good listen cop. to a word that i said or are you just liam i'm a guest on your show please give me the respect i deserve that i played a good cop in michael mann's heat which you may have seen and heard about all right al we fucking get okay, it okay Al, come on i'm sorry i'm sorry this is it's the, fine i don't know why i'm sorry i invited him it's fine it's fine. I promise. It's weird. He's been watching The Irishman in the living room all morning. <laughs> but no, I think I think it's a, it's another example of a kind of like great versim a character full of verisimilitude, even if it's that also is kind of existing within a. We're spending a lot of time critiquing the politics of this movie, which we do all the time. But it's so goddamn believable. No, we talked about how entertaining context. it is, yeah. Yeah. and it's also very believable. This is in also the world the, that it sets up. This is also the uh, Jim Gordon that you get from Batman Year One. Yes, and it's interesting to think, which is a great like, again about him in relationship to, or like it's it's an origin story for both of them, right? And obviously, you get more of his origin story in, in the comic than you do in this, mm-hmm. but this clearly borrowed that kind of Jim Gordon because the Jim Gordon from the first four Batman movies that we discussed is a complete another ca- character, like a cartoon. He's, a, he's much better in Batman 1989, and he's yes. pretty good in Batman Returns. As these the are movies cartoon. progress, but the, that's what the, then he's the movies too. The movies do that as yes. well. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Cillian Murphy yeah. as Scarecrow. And how awesome he is. He, God, it's a good performance. And it's 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 the only kind of comic booky performance in the whole movie. I feel like Nolan either didn't know what to do with this guy, which I, I think Nolan knows exactly what he's doing most of the time, for good or for better. But Cillian, Cillian Murphy's performance in this film is just like the perfect amount of insane. I think it's a great origin story for this character. Um, and I, I, I really like that the film takes the time to turn him into like, he's a doctor. He works, he work, he has Arkham Asylum. He also works for Falcone. He's on the take and kind of the interpolitics of like him having to deal with Rachel Dawes's office. I really appreciate that the movie kind of like attempts a take at like looking at actual politics and the gangland kind of stuff that goes the on. The gangland in this movie. stuff, yeah, is interesting. And it's again, it's interesting also because if Batman were to be a hero or like yeah. an actual th- per thing, he would, I guess, run up against 
like right. crime bosses first and foremost before like these super villains. And that's something that Phantasm does really well is that I appreciate does, that yeah, Nolan yeah. took the time at least in the first two Batman films and I suppose a little bit a little bit in the third there's like corrupt businessmen like that that he that he that the film is is a little you know I said it doesn't really look at structural kind of problems but it does it, it looks at like corruption within the police it looks at corruption within like sort of the DA's office corruption within these kind of like administrative things in the second film you know the mob's influence on the police how they're that how like they're able to buy get information about people by like the right price joker's able to infiltrate kind of get you know that that kind of thing and then in the third film there's like a literal kangaroo court yeah yeah like the film i guess gestures at this stuff but does it well there's no implicit critique or there's no implicit deep dive into these structural forces yeah so you get but they're there well, Which yeah, is not enough, a, I'm a, saying. Yeah, in a very, very general way. But going back to Murphy also, and about how the character obviously becomes like the living embodiment of... Scarecrow? No, the Bruce Wayne's fear and mm. trauma. And I think that's what's really fascinating about this film, also that it leans into the trauma and the fear. So you think the trauma and the fear is the best part of the film? Yeah, in terms of the psychological death, because you don't get that, I think, in the same way in the other films that you do here. Like, it's interesting to think about how this character basically develops this persona to cover up his fear and right. not, and not because of like he's a badass or because of like just his general trauma this right. general anger but that it, it it comes from this place of like vulnerability rather than anything else yeah i and, think that that works really well i think i think the character arc is pretty good for for bruce wayne and that he he's sort of forced to cope with this trauma um engage in the real world and also like learn a kind of lesson about like what it's and vigilantism is is a big part of this film obviously as it does and i think this film leans in on it really hard when mm, I mean, michael kane talks about like the sense that it's like you can't make it personal like these things are a big part of what the film is i think the second film does much more with it but i like where it's what 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 direction it's starting to lean in towards yeah i'd have to think a little bit more about that because I don't know, again, if the arc is, oof, I don't know if it really does it for me. Okay, tell me more. Oh, I mean, I just don't think it gets us to a point of resolution or where it gets us to... Well, sure, it's a setup for a... It's a setup for... No, no, but I mean resolution in the sense of like even thinking about, let's say, oh, it ends at a place, obviously, where the character is... I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe maybe you, you are supposed to also, like one way to kind of read the ending in a kind of reparative way. And reparative, I simply mean in the sense of like a better reading of it more interesting reading of it is that again he's st- really still fundamentally damaged well of course he's still batman and yeah exactly and that without let's say any point at which he can get rid of that he will always be damaged so it's interesting maybe to think about the ending of the trilogy as this kind of rejection of let's say his damage his damage and he has, okay so i think that's interesting i guess we'll get there one thing i want to talk about that this film does like beautifully Ooh, the chef's and you test. had to wonder how much they were I wonder if, I doubt it, but I wonder if the final scene of the film when the Joker card is revealed was there in the original. Or if they... The original cut. Yeah, or if Warner Brothers was like so happy with how the film looks that they were like, we got to do this next because, and it's probably not, because that scene does such an amazing job of setting up some of the... Or that scene does such a good job, I think, of setting up some of the... conflict in the second film which is the escalation which is the joker being like there's no me without batman i'm here in response to batman like if there's going to be a guy who operates outside the bounds of law zoom another one then there's going to be a guy doing and like it's kind of amazing how clearly thought out that seemed to be at the end is that what that scene is like what well because he's like we have to we have to talk about escalation he's like what oh, escalation is that what he he says? yeah and he's like you know you're uh if they bring semi-automatics we have to bring automatics like and then he says, and you're wearing a mask. Like, you have a taste for theatrical. Oh. Take this guy. And he shows him the Joker card. I totally forgot about that exchange. Well, it's or that just, particular yeah, it's just very, it's clear that that's like already leaning towards the Joker being in response to Batman. One thing that I thought was really interesting that you wouldn't, you wouldn't not have seen in the film, it doesn't show, but the film, that the fact that all the people escape Arkham at the end of the, yeah, at the yeah. end of the film, and the Joker's got to be one of them. And I always think that's uh, really interesting—the idea that Joker's one of the guys that Batman frees, or that is freed as a result of this. Yeah, action. I do. Th- I do like what they do. What they did with Arkham here. Yeah. And again, I think that's like one of those moments where you said there were like a gestures to this much larger world, and yeah. it doesn't spend a lot of time dealing with it because obviously that's not what it's concerned right. with. 
but that there is again this kind of taste of this much larger structural apparatus that's operating and, it and gets the destruction the of films. it yeah and the destruction of it obviously at the end of this film as you said kind of leads directly into the second one see like i think like that for example is like how good this film is at like meticulously crafting this world without let's say making it too heavy-handed even though again some of the dialogue is terrible the dialogue is terrible but no it isn't i don't think it's too heavy-handed yeah and i think those are like the touches where i'm like this world is really well crafted you kind of know what it is already you kind of have the contours well, of it yeah and it just drops you in and it has you like if you were in let's say a batman fan you'd be able to like quickly figure out like okay i get it arkham asylum that's where all the crazy yeah. go that's where all the bad yeah, guys that's go. true well and i think it's just also worth noting that he's using i think the the focus was on like let's make a, a film about like a police film about a city that yeah. just so happens to involve Batman. And I think the best compliments this movie gets paid is like, it's a movie about like a city battling its own corruption and Batman as a character in it. Like it's larger. It's a large, it operates on a larger canvas. One final thing, cause I know yeah. we got to wrap up cause George has got to get on a plane. Um, the the hallucinations that people have as a result of Scarecrow, Crow, Scarecrow are fucking terrifying. They are terrifying. They're so well done. The Batman, it's one the of one the, when, when he gives Scarecrow his own medicine. And he's got like the scary yeah. face. Oh, it's so scary. Um, well, this was Very great. Well done. Nicole, Sean, thank you so much for your feedback. Yeah, thank you. The movie does kind of suck, but... Politically it's, speaking. It's pretty awesome also. It kind of yeah. reminds me of what Marx... Or was it Angles? Oh, my God. How Marx and Angles preferred... Maybe I've said this before. Preferred ba- Dark Knight to Dark Knight Rising. No, the reactionary Balzac rather than Balzac. the progressive... <laughs> Balzac. Rather than the progressive Zola... Because in in Balzac's reactionary novels, one gets more of the contradictions of capitalism, more of the antagonisms that are found within the capitalist system, and that he illustrates those contradictions better, or, yeah, just better than, let's say, the progressive Zola. So, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, in a reactionary film like this, the contradictions are heightened or they become more obvious. Oh, Liam's falling asleep. Okay, maybe we should just go. What did you say? It's me again. The oh, great oh Al, I'm so George! Sorry. Shut the fuck up. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fagopoulos. I'm Al Pacino. We know fuck. <laughs> this was Uber Busters. Uber Busters.